Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This episode is being recorded on Wednesday, January 22nd of 2020. And uh, again, there's lots of good stuff to talk about. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this core update that uh, released just a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it was probably just a week ago. Um, We've got some interesting information on this and we're still trying to piece it all together. So I'm going to share a little bit about that with you here. Uh, There's much more in newsletter. This episode corresponds to episode number 116 of Search News You Can Use, which you can find at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. So let's get right into it and we'll start talking uh, about this update. So we know that Google announced on January 13th of this year that they were releasing a core update. And I love that Google does this now. Um, You know, it's only been the last few updates that they've specifically told us, hey, we're releasing a core update and we want you to call it this, although the names are kind of boring, (laughs) just named after the the date it was released. Um, And I think that had Google not told us that this was a core update, we would have said, hmm, something happened here. They tweaked a few things, but, you know, it's nothing significant. Um, Knowing that this was a core update made us look in even more detail. And I've spent a lot of time uh, analyzing sites that saw improvements, sites that saw drops, and uh, I think you're really going to find it interesting the types of sites that uh, we think were rewarded and the types of sites that were hit by this update. Something really, really interesting to note here is that we did not have a big influx of people um, requesting help for traffic drops. Now, often it can take a few weeks. There are a lot of businesses that don't look at their Google Analytics every day and after a few weeks go, you know, it seems like the phone's ringing less. Uh, Let's check things out and let's see what's happening. Um, And so it can take a few weeks for us to start getting a lot of requests for site reviews for traffic traffic drops. Uh, traffic drop assessments uh, and things like that. But this feels different. Um, When I went through the list of sites that had contacted us saying that they were affected, there was a very small number. Um, And when we look at our client data, uh, this is going to sound very braggy, but we had a good number of clients that saw really nice improvements. Now, it's not possible for sites to see improvements without sites seeing uh, negative effects from an update. So what happened here? Um, Um, It was interesting that Gary Ish tweeted something just this morning as I record this, uh, indicating that maybe Google had done a better job at removing spam. And if this is the case, it's possible that if a bunch of spam sites were removed from your SERPs and that allows you to jump up two or three positions in rankings, that uh, you potentially uh, could see benefits for some sites uh, and the spammy sites are not likely to reach out to us for an expensive audit or, you know, a a really in-depth look as to why they dropped because spammy sites usually are sites that are uh, relying on tricks and loopholes and potentially black hat methods uh, in order to rank well. And uh, and I guess it makes sense that they're not going to be the ones reaching out for the most part uh, for site reviews. Um, this update was way more though than just removing spammy sites. Uh, and usually an update from what I can recall, updates generally don't remove sites from the SERPs. I wonder if any of you disagree with me on that, I would love for you to tweet at me uh, because um, I, I really can't recall 
a core update or even a panda or a penguin update that actually de-indexed pages on mass. Um, they usually just cause severe demotions so that the pages are still in the index, but uh, not completely removed. So um, I, the sites that we're seeing that saw drops, they're generally drops of just a few positions. And in the aggregate, that can that can be huge. You know, if you've dropped from number one to number four, that's going to dramatically reduce the amount of business that comes to your to your website. Um, so, you know, what other things do we think are happening with this update? Uh, one of the things that we've noticed is that a good number of the sites that were affected were affiliate sites. And uh, we have more in newsletter about some of the specifics uh, surrounding this. I really do not think that Google has anything against affiliate sites, but there are things that you must be doing properly if you're containing affiliate links in your website. Um, and so uh, some of the things that we're seeing are that sites that saw improvements generally are very clear in labeling which content is affiliate in terms of affiliate links. Uh, uh, which content is sponsored content, uh, and that seems to be maybe something that Google's rewarding. Uh, we also think that Google just tweaked some dials in terms of trust. There were a number of sites that uh, were affected either positively or negatively on um, another update day that we felt was related to trust. So, uh, for example, the June 3rd update of this year, um, the September update of this year, uh, we think we're heavily connected with Google uh, assessing trust. And um, a good number of the sites that were affected with one of those days saw either um, improvements or a reversal of what, uh, what was happening um, pr prior. Uh, and so we think Google just tweaked some dials. A lot of the sites that uh, we saw that were negatively affected were uh, sites that we would have um, said, you know, had we reviewed them even before this update, we would have said, look, you're lacking uh, information in terms of uh, who's in charge of the information on your site. You know, there's no clear refund policy. Uh, very simple things or articles, uh, YMYL articles written with no, uh, no expertise in the author. Um, these are things that we've known for a couple of years now are uh, things that Google looks at, or at least we think Google looks at. Um, and so uh, it's possible that Google has just reassessed uh, a bunch of websites. I also think they may have tweaked some dials or made some changes in what they consider YMYL. Um, I've seen a few uh, uh, websites that talk about pet health that have seen some drops um, and also some that have seen some improvements. And uh, I know Glenn Gabe tweeted about Mercola.com. Mercola.com is an alternative uh, health website, and they've been hit by many updates. And something that uh, was interesting was that with prior updates, their pet health section was not strongly affected. And with this update, it was negatively affected. Uh, and so I think that's a, a component there too. There are other things that we think um, are happening. If you are a, a member of newsletter, you can find it again, episode number 116. We've got a little bit in there for uh, everybody to, um, to use. And if you're a paid member of our content, then uh, we've got quite a bit more. Most likely in a few weeks from now, uh, we'll have an article out uh, with everything that we think is happening as we spend more time looking into this. Um, but uh, for now, uh, you can find what we currently think is happening in our current newsletter. Um, let's move on. Uh, let's see here. Um, oh, the other, actually, before we move on, something important to know, Danny Sullivan from Google told us that the update was a global update. 
generally when Google does a core update, it's global. Uh, I think it's very rare that they do updates that just affect one um, nationality, one uh, geographical region. Um, I mean, I'm, I think they certainly do do things for specific regions, but core updates tend to be global. The other thing is he said that it's fully rolled out, um, although it could take, he said, up to two weeks for sites to see the effects of this. Uh, and so if you're seeing traffic changes, uh, they could continue to trend in the way that they have been trending uh, for a few more days because it hasn't been two weeks since we um, had this update roll out. Uh, so we're, uh, we're going to be paying even more attention to this. Uh, I, I've, I'm starting to block out much more time in my schedule uh, to look specifically at not just, you know, oh, we think Google did this, but more specifically, all right, well, if Google is now rewarding this as quality, how can we have our clients implement that on their websites? Uh, and so that's the type of information that we're trying to glean from uh, each of these updates. Going on to some Google announcements, this probably won't affect many people, but Google announced that the legacy mobile app properties for Google Analytics are going to be shut down at the end of this month. Um, uh, Simo Ahava uh, tweeted that this applies to those Google Analytics properties that have collected exclusively mobile app data, uh, so no web measurement protocol data. It doesn't apply to Google Analytics 360 properties, and I think most of you who are listening to this are are probably not affected by this update, um, but worth mentioning uh, nonetheless. Uh, there are some changes to shopping on Google. Now, this is an area that's not something that we feel like we're um, strongly uh, an expert in, uh, but I know that many of you who are listening to this are working on websites that uh, are e-commerce websites, and so Google's shopping results are very, very important. This past week, Google announced that they'll begin allowing users to shop apparel from a across the web in one central location. So um, we've got more information in newsletter on the specifics and the types of products that can appear in, uh, and also some really good tips from Aleda Solis on what this means uh, for you. So if you are, um, uh, you know, involved in e-commerce, this is something that you really want to pay attention to. Um, what also might be connected is that Google also acquired this Irish retail giant called Pointy. Uh, I'm not terribly familiar with Pointy, uh, but the company allows smaller merchants to list their products for sale without needing a massive full e-commerce system. And we think these two things can be connected. Uh, so uh, this, the reason why I'm mentioning it, even though um, you know the shopping carousel and all of those results are not something that's integral to our business at this point, uh, I think this is something that could massively change uh, the web. Uh, and so we're going to be paying attention to that uh, as it continues. And um, uh, you know, if something new comes up that we think is important for e-commerce sites that listen to the podcast and subscribe to our newsletter, then we'll, uh, we'll update you on that further in the, the future. Um, also, information in newsletter on some changes to cookies from Google. Uh, and the content that we have in newsletter is a little bit detailed about the different types of cookies. There's first-party cookies and third-party cookies. And uh, there are going to be some changes. And I think, you know, this is all around privacy. Um, and so uh, if you're using cookies, if you're using uh, retargeting and, uh, you know, you're heavily reliant on cookies on your website, you want to be paying attention to this discussion as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about recipe sites. It was a tweet from Danny Sullivan under the Google Search Liaison account uh, where 
he said this yesterday, uh, and so sorry, he tweeted this on January 16th. So yesterday, a concern was raised that calorie information was required for recipes to be included in or rank well for Google search. This is not the case. Moreover, structured data like this has no impact on ranking in web search. Um, and then there's a thread that follows that that has more information um, on uh, what Google says about this. So structured data, according to Google, it's optional and it can be a good way to enhance your listings and make it more appealing for users to click on. But according to Google, it's not necessary in order to rank for organic search. Um, this is controversial, though, because if you're a recipe website, there are certain things that adding structured data can get you into carousels. Uh, and so, you, you you know, I don't think you need to say, well, I don't need review stars, so why would I want to use structured data? There's so much that can be used here. And the more you can do to help search engines understand what your website is about, what uh, your content is about, what readers uh, would be interested in, uh, the better. And so we would strongly recommend adding whatever structured data that you can. Um, uh, Danny went on to say that calorie information, it adds an additional additional bit of info, but it's not essential to, to ranking well. And th there's, uh, there's more here uh, that, let's see here, sometimes various Google search features such as carousels require certain basic structured data to be eligible to appear. Uh, this is again from Danny's tweets. Calorie info is not essential for that though. So, um, you know, I, I think this is a hard time for recipe sites. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit later about some more recipe stuff, but um, I really feel like things are changing and it's getting harder and harder for the small blogger who just has a great, uh, you know, aptitude for recipes and for creating recipe content to compete against giants. Um, and maybe this is what users want. Now, I know there have been times where I've found a fantastic recipe on, you know, some no-name bloggers site. Uh, but more often than not, when I'm searching for a recipe, I look at it and I go, oh, well, this results from all recipes. And I've made several recipes for, I've probably made hundreds of recipes from all recipes. And they generally tend to work out well. Um, we're working on a number of recipe sites right now. So if I say stuff, please, and you're listening and you're one of our clients, no, this is probably not about you. Uh, but we had um, one particular client that uh, we were looking at their recipe content and one of my auditors decided, I'm gonna actually make this recipe, it's really good. And she couldn't understand the recipe. She There were steps that were missing um, and it just didn't work out as well as uh, other recipes she's made in the past. And could that be a ranking factor? I know it seems ridiculous, right? I mean, how would Google know whether your recipe uh, is just as good as others? Well, I think there's lots of ways they could know that. Uh, they can look at the comments on the recipe. I think it's very easy that Google could use natural language processing to say, oh, all of these comments are saying this was horrible. Uh, it was too dry, it, you know, whatever. Um, and I think that Google could look at how often people return to that page. You know, my favorite, I, uh, I just started recently making bread and uh, I made a recipe from all recipes uh, twice in a row. And then I went to another site that, um, uh, I don't think it was one of our clients, but it was a site I'd never heard of before. And uh, I made a recipe from them and my bread didn't turn out. Uh, there were, it wasn't that there were steps missing, but it was kind of unclear and I missed a step. And anyways, it didn't turn out very nicely and my kids got to eat hockey pucks for uh 
uh, for sandwiches. So my apologies to them. Um, the point I'm trying to make here, though, is that Google seems to be trying to get better and better at providing searchers with the absolute best content. Um, so how do you fix that? Uh, I don't know. You know, I think you need to have the absolute best content of your kind. I also think that if you are um, a recipe blogger, uh, unless you can come up with a way for people to say, oh, yeah, this site is way better than the big giants because this, this, and this. And for people to say that on a regular basis, then it's going to be really challenging to rank. And I know that's disappointing for a lot of you to hear. Um, on the other hand, we've had some recipe sites that we've really been able to help. And just adding certain elements of um, uh, things to just help users uh, and, uh, you know, reducing uh, annoying ads and things like that can uh, can really go a long way. So don't be disheartened. It's not like you can never rank a recipe site again. Um, but uh, some of the things that used to work really well are no longer being valued by Google, in our opinion. Let's talk about disavow files. Uh, there was a good question on Twitter this week for somebody who was trying to upload a disavow file, and Google kept telling them there was an error in the file. And when this happens, uh, you've essentially rewritten your disavow file with a blank file. Uh, and so you don't want to do that. Um, and if you get an error in your disavow file, the most common reason for this is that there's a line somewhere in the file that has a character that's a non-ASCII character. Um, and that can be really hard to find. Like if you have a small disavow file, uh, you can look through it and go, oh, that's a weird character and remove it. Uh, but if you have a massive disavow file, like there's no simple way that I'm aware of to search for non-ASCII characters. Um, so the best thing that I have found to fix this is to take your disavow file and put it into a Google Doc, not a spreadsheet, but a Google Doc and then use Google Docs to save it as a text file. And for some reason, Google does a really good job at removing these characters that are not good. Uh, um, the person who asked me this on Twitter, he uh, did that with his file and re-uploaded it and it worked just fine. So, um, so if you're having troubles with errors, then that's something that can help you out there. Uh, speaking on uh, unnatural links, there was some stuff in a recent help hangout about widget links. And I had a number of people um, talk with me on Twitter about this, so I think it's an interesting topic for people. First of all, what is a widget link? A really simple example would be, uh, let's say you run a fitness website and uh, you've created a widget that is a, uh, a tracker for how much weight you've lost uh, and, you know, that for people to use in forums or something. Gosh, I'm dating myself. I used to, I used to use, what was it called? Calorie people or something. There was a, there was a, uh, it doesn't really matter. Anyways, um, let's say, so there's a tool basically that people can somehow embed on the web. Um, and uh, if that, uh, tool has a link back to the original website. So let's say it was Calorie King. I, I don't know. I'm making this up. Let's say it was Calorie King. And I embedded the widget and the widget said, oh, you can find more information on fitness at calorieking.com. Um, well, that could be okay. Um, to be fully within Google's guidelines, it should be a no-followed link. However, 
we know that the reason why people create widgets is to get links back to their website. Um, and so somebody asked John Mueller about this, whether uh, it was a link scheme if they're uh, giving out widgets and the widgets contain a link pointing back to their website. And uh, here's what John said. We have the full transcript in newsletter uh, that you can read, but uh, I'll read just a part of it. Just to make, sh just make sure that when you're giving out things to other people, it doesn't come across as this is a trade. Um, like we give you the widget and in exchange you give us a followed link back to our site. As soon as it becomes an exchange where you're kind of swapping things like that, then it would be a link scheme from our point of view. So I think most of the widgets that we see on the web that contain a followed link are considered by Google a link scheme. We've seen a few manual actions come across our way uh, recently for sites that have used this on a large scale. Um, and it's something that I really feel like a couple of years ago, Google got better at uh, just figuring out that these links truly aren't actually votes for your content, um, but they're there for SEO reasons, and they got really good at uh, ignoring those. I think that if you have loads and loads of links like this, that that could potentially be seen as a sign for Google to distrust your link profile, um, and it could actually affect you negatively, and you could consider uh, disavowing some of those links. So I know this is going to bring up a lot of questions. I'm happy to answer questions uh, via, uh, if you want to at me on Twitter. Um, I don't answer questions by DM, by the way, uh, just for time's sake, uh, but I'm quite happy to do it on uh, regular Twitter because I know that um, if I'm helping you, uh, there might be other people who read that question and I can help them as well. It also helps me to know what topics are popular right now. You know, if I'm talking uh, ad nauseum about some particular topic and nobody cares about it, there's not going to be any discussion on social about it. So, uh, you know, please do tweet at me and I'm happy to, to give you my thoughts. Um, let's see here. Another thing that came up in the Help Hangout was a discussion on tag pages. And I, I feel like we've talked about this a lot in previous episodes. Tag pages are generally uh, from WordPress sites where you can just create a page and go, oh, you know, this page talks about Penguin and links and uh, Google and web spam. And I'm going to make all of those a tag. And then all of a sudden you've created new pages on your site. So I have a page for penguin, for links, web spam, tag, and, and tags. Um, and so, uh, and each of those would be a list of all your blog posts on that topic. Um, what John said is that having tag pages is not like a huge deal, um, but what he said, the main thing I'd watch out for here is that we don't generally have a massive amount of tag pages, so that eventually it's just a collection of tag pages and the actual content is very minimal. Uh, we, uh, When I tweeted this, I had somebody reply to me saying that they de-indexed, uh, they no-indexed, um, a whole bunch of tag pages from their site, and they feel that they saw a very large improvement after that. Um, we do really feel like, um, John's mentioned in the past that everything that's in Google's index for your site is counted towards the quality of your website. And it makes sense to me that if you have 4,000 tag pages and you have like 30 pages of actual content, that maybe overall your website could be seen as lower quality. So we do recommend, if you have a bunch of tag pages, we recommend 
recommend that uh, for the most part, you know index them. If it's possible, and this is always challenging depending on your CMS or your theme basically that you're using. Um, if possible, you should you can take the pages that actually are getting traffic and improve them. Uh, and so, you know, if I have a page, a tag page on unnatural links, it's not just a list of all the posts I've written on unnatural links, but rather it it's, it's very valuable for anybody who's looking for information on unnatural links um, and contains content as well as just a list of links or summaries of, of posts on your website. Um, we don't have a whole lot to uh, mention this week for local SEO other than uh, there's a really good thread on the local search forum and Joy Hawkins tweeted about this about Google My Business Insights data being quite unreliable uh, and Joy suggests that you use UTM codes uh, as opposed to relying on the charts that Google My Business Insights give you. Uh, so I thought that was interesting to, uh, to mention to people. So we're going to end this episode of podcast with uh, an interesting question that's actually not in our area of expertise completely, but uh, we uh, had fun researching <laughs> this. Um, so Mike Stewart asked, uh, big fan of the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Which is better for site speed, Vimeo or YouTube? Would you suggest any other video player? So... Um, one thing to know is that both Vimeo and YouTube uh, use embeds. Uh, and so your video is embedded as an iframe. And what that means is it's not actually content on your site, but uh, if somebody visits your page, the content has to be loaded from YouTube or from Vimeo. Um, and then video inherently takes a long time to load because, especially depending on the uh, connection that your user has. Uh, and so um, which is better for page speed? We did a little bit of research because uh, it's not something that we've investigated ourselves. Um, one of my auditors, Matt, uh, gave me a really good link that um, it's wpspeedmatters.com. Uh, they have a really good article uh, entitled Optimize YouTube and Video Vimeo Videos in WordPress. So I would, I would recommend that you uh, search that out. One of the things that they found when they did testing is that in terms of speed, both of them are about equal. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it probably doesn't matter. I feel like there are better SEO benefits to having YouTube videos on your site. Um, one of the things is if you have YouTube videos, those videos have much better chance of ranking on their own as well. Uh, a lot of queries will have video carousels and YouTube, you know, understandably Google will prefer YouTube. I mean, it's their own platform. Um, and so that could be a good thing. For some sites, though, that could be a bad thing because uh, YouTube could outrank your own site for your own content. So, you know, there's pros and cons here. Um, one of the things I'd recommend is just testing things. Uh, I believe Vimeo should have a free account. Uh, YouTube's free anyways. Um, create a page, embed a, a video on both of those, and then run some page speed tests on it. Um, I think it's unlikely that either of, that, that speed should be an issue when you're making this decision. Um, and so I would look at other things like ease of use, uh, whether it's worthwhile to pay for it for you. Um, I don't know whether, you know, Vimeo may have a paid platform where you can remove their branding. I think that's probably one of the main reasons people would go to paid video platforms uh, is so that you don't have a, you know, YouTube plastered across your, your content. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that completely answers your question, but in terms of page load time, um, either should be equivalent. Uh, that article I mentioned as well uh, also has some interesting stuff on how to lazy load videos. Uh, 
and so if you do find that after you embed, it's slowing your page down, um, then you could look at lazy loading as well. Um, again, if you want to ask me a question for me to answer in podcast, you can go to our newsletter episode. This is episode number 116. Uh, you can get there at mariehaines.com slash newsletter, and um, there will be a form that you can fill out to ask me a question. I can't guarantee you that I'll answer it, but um, I love when you ask them because if I don't know the answer, then we learn stuff, and that's, uh, that's how things go for us. Um, so also in our newsletter, we've got really great tips. Uh, Greg Gifford did a fantastic video at PubCon in Vegas last fall, uh, and he's just released it where he asked people for tips, and it's a very, very good video. So that's in newsletter. I would encourage you to, to look at that. Um, can having too many 404 errors hurt your site? We've got information on that. Really, really helpful Google Sheets shortcuts uh, from Ben Collins tweeted a fantastic thread on uh, shortcuts you can use in Google Sheets. And uh, one of the things I really, really enjoyed in newsletter was an article written by Luke Carthy on uh, his experience in going out as a freelancer. Um, so I have a lot of experience with this as well, although I wasn't working in SEO before I started freelancing. Uh, I did a lot of years of uh, just working on my own. And, uh, you know, I think everything Luke said was bang on and fits with my experience. I saw uh, somebody tweeted today about making their first hire. Um, I'll tell you, it's addictive. I, I set out to hire one person and now we've just hired our 10th. Uh, and so um, a little bit of a humble brag there that things are, are going well. Uh, and But it's hard. There's a lot of challenges. Uh, I think once you get beyond two or three people, uh, then you have to really be a business owner. You can't be, um, you know, I'm just the person who knows SEO. Uh, and so there's a lot and Luke's covered a lot of this in his article. Um, so if you are, uh, interested in, um, having us do some work with you, you can find us at help at mariehaines.com. Uh, although we do have a significant waiting list, one of the things we're thinking about offering, and certainly if you're interested in this, let me know because we may develop it sooner if a lot of people are interested, is when we do a deep dive into algorithm updates, uh, that we could look at that specific to your site. And we can say, look, we feel like Google uh, made changes in these five areas. And for these three, your site is doing great. But for these two, you could do this and this so that you'd be on the better side of quality. Um, and also looking at which competitors actually uh, did well with an algorithm update um, and which of your competitors uh, got hit. And that way we can uh, give our uh, thoughts on specifically why. Um, and so if you're interested in that, you can uh, reach out to us at help at mariehaines.com. It always helps to um, mention that you heard it on podcast because sometimes my team who is answering uh, emails uh, might be a bit confused as to why you're, uh, why you're suddenly asking this. Um, or you can uh, tweet at me, uh, Marie underscore Haynes. And uh, I'm on Twitter most mornings. I'm spending a lot less time on Twitter lately, just trying to get my own schedule optimized and, uh, and grow this business. It's, uh, it's challenging, but fun. Um, so those of you who are doing the same, you know where I'm at, right? Uh, it's, it's very interesting times. Um, with that, I think we're going to finish it. I really, really appreciate everyone who listens to this podcast. Thanks so much. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. <laughs>